Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year And to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Osiris. Welcome. It is Wednesday, the lunch hour here in the Mountain Time Zone, the greatest time zone in America. I will put that out there as the first thing I state on today's episode. Maybe controversial. Share your opinions in the uh, comments if you have any pushback on me. The greatest time zone in America, the Mountain Time Zone. My name is Brian Brinkman. I'm here with my good friend, who has shaken his head from the East Coast, from the Eastern Time Zone, RJB. We are here with HF Pod on tour, live, coming at you. RJ, how are you doing, and do you agree or disagree with what I said? I mean, I just, I don't want to start off on a on a bad note, but um, I just, I just think you're not right about this one. <laughs> Could you I mean, make your case? What is your rationale? I have very clear rationale. I could I could back this up forever. I mean, I think there's, I think the East Coast and West Coast are are better than the mountain mountain time zone. Yeah. 
Central, you know, is probably in last place. Central's terrible. I grew up in Central. My reason for Mountain is you get sports that start at like 4.30, 5 o'clock, and then you can watch the late games. And when Fish plays the Gorge, it's just a little late. But have you ever tried to watch a Gorge show? Have you ever tried to webcast a Fish Gorge show from the East Coast? Yeah, I have. It's not easy. So you're right. If you're thinking about it in terms of sports and live streaming music, then I, I agree with that. I thought you were talking just about like life life in general. Well, what else is there to life than sports and live streaming concerts? Good point. <laughs> I mean, I'm, good point. I'm failing to understand. Um, we are not here, though, to talk about time zones. We will do that on our other live time zone podcast where we talk about where they break down, what exactly they encompass, why they exist. We are here to talk about a very, very special moment in fish history that we are going to break down for you all. And that is the interview that the band embarked upon on June 19th, 1994 in Kalamazoo, Michigan. This is the start of a brand new series that we are doing here on HF Pod Live, where we take great past wild interviews that the band took part in throughout their career we play a little bit of it. We talk about our thoughts on where the band was at the time, and we kind of break it down. They all kind of, for a variety of reasons, have uh, have a ton of different appeal. Before we do that, though, I do want to remind all of our wonderful listeners out there that if you haven't already, please subscribe to Osiris Media on Apple Podcasts. You will get, among other things, HF Pod Premium. We have a new episode going live tomorrow, a new premium episode. RJ, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about what they would hear if they subscribe to Osiris media on Apple podcasts tomorrow. Sure. Yeah. You, well, you'd get our, our HF pod premium episodes this, this week. It's uh, we're going to be breaking down Trey's new solo acoustic record, which, which is fun. Um, but you also get ad free podcasts for a ton of our shows and probably more in the future, but those are the things you get right now. And And what else is, what else do you need other than right now? You know what I mean? Right now is all that matters, and that's what yeah. you're getting right now. But we have a lot that's in the works in the future. Um, but sure. I'm really excited for this episode to go live. I just finished working on it. Uh, you, myself, and Jonathan all sit down and talk through this new album that Trey Surprise dropped on us last week. Solo acoustic, eight, nine tracks, all kind of yep. recent material. It's it's really a, it's a fascinating record, and we, we, we dive deep into it. Yeah, I would tell you what I think about it, but you have to subscribe to find out. Yeah, I'm, everything I say will be silent because it's behind a paywall at this point in time. It's just how this works. Um, that said, the other thing I want to tell you about before we jump into the main topic of today, and there's a lot to break down in this interview. I don't know if any of you have watched the 61994 interview in Kalamazoo, Michigan, but uh, we're going to play a little bit. Like I said, it, it takes you back to a very special time in fish history. I also want to tell you about our wonderful sponsor here, Sunset Lake CBD. They have a line of smokable hemp products that are for both the old deadhead or the middle-aged deadhead, young fish fan, or perhaps the middle-aged fish fan, the young up-and-coming goose fan, or perhaps the middle-aged goose fan, any one of us who's in there, maybe even the old goose fan. I met an old goose fan at uh, uh, the the Denver show uh, back in November. He was, he was great. He jumped right from the dead to goose. It was very cool to talk to him about. But any one of these people who are searching for a mellow body high, smoking CBD has all the benefits of high THC cannabis without the paranoia or the anxious side effects. There's nine different strains from this year's harvest, so there's something for everyone. Hawaiian Haze is awesome for an outdoor show. Cherry Abacus is best for the end of the night. All the flowers grown, cured, and trimmed by Sunset Lake CBD farmers. Even better, Sunset Lake CBD's farm-to-table approach gets you great pricing on premium CBD flour by shipping it directly from their farm to your door. And I just want to tell you really quick, like the other night, I finished work, kids were down, and I wanted to play some guitar. And I smoked a little bit of the Sunset Lake CBD smokables, and it was perfect. I was mellow. I could still think I could still move my fingers in ways that I, I can't if I take a big hit off of a THC bowl. And I was just like, I was in the perfect headspace. I was mellow. I was chilled out and I was playing guitar better than I've ever played guitar. I'll tell you what, it sounded great to me. I don't know how it sounded to anybody else, but it felt great. And it was all 
thanks to this experience I was having with Sunset Lake CBD. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code HFPOD for 20% off all products. Again, that's Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. And with that, should we dive into 61994? I think we should. I think we should. And I, I just want to say this, the... The series idea is a good one, um, the interview series. And we're also going to talk about some of the shows and the tour around this particular interview. So I'm excited. What, where, where do you want to go first? Well, why don't we just set the context in terms of where the band was at before we jump into the interview. So this is June 19th, 1994. They're about a month and a half into the spring, summer 94 tour, a tour that's been revered throughout history. Tell me just personally and kind of you know as as you've thought about the band over the last 30 years what do you think about this period in fish history and where do you see them at this point yeah i mean i think this is when i started getting a lot of tapes um in you know more or less real time or at least with with some slight delays um so i remember all these tapes you know from spring and summer 94 and they were just kind of hitting their stride they were really the spring 94 tour, like you said, was sort of covered by a lot of a lot of fans. And I think people were just starting to see the opportunities that Fish had with improv and opening some of these songs up. I mean, they play like kind of a pretty small rotation of songs at this point. I mean, it's growing every tour, but there's there's not a lot like, a, you know, every there's a tweezer like every third show, you know, and there's a stash and yeah. Reba, you know, Antelope um bowie there's there's so much um but it's it's such a fun time because they're just starting i think this was the second summer that they really were playing big big amphitheaters and and big venues um and the 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 whole tour to me there's there's one highlight from this tour which is the six eleven ninety four um red rock show which has this you know there's there was a broadcast on the radio so there's a great sounding um version of of tape that that circulated but the you enjoy myself is just it's just great um and that there's so many great jams i actually went back to a bunch in preparation for this can i just run through a few of them real quick would that be okay please please as as the man who loves running through jams for context i would love to have you do this okay so there, there's too many to go through but just very quickly summer 94 6 6 10 tweezer there's the 617 Milwaukee show, which is the OJ show. The whole thing is just fun with a lot of good banter. Um, 618 divided sky, which Trey's talked about as a kind of transformational moment for him. And that show also has an incredible David Bowie. There's also the 622 show, which is from Columbus, which has like this just insane adventure. Um, probably the best Iculus of all time with Trey just screaming, um, and it's just it's so great it's such a great show 626 there's a game henge first set game henge show um 72 and 74 both have great tweezers and basically all of the rebas and stashes from this tour are are really fantastic um there's there's a 713 big birch i remember getting that tape with like you know a tweezer fest like sort of like the bomb factory and others. Um, and then the tour ender at Sugarbush, which is just a great listen all the way through seven sixteen. So those are, that's my quick, quick rundown. There's probably a lot more. Well, it's interesting. Cause it is a tour that like, you know, we we've mapped out kind of what we want to cover with this going forward. And there's just like, it's like every other show has four or five highlights that you want to dive into. But I think that's a great overview I was thinking about this in conjunction with the episode that we did last week with Benji Eisen, um, <clears throat> where we dove into March 1992. And that month saw a ton of debuts ahead of the release of Rift a year later. And then throughout 1993, there's not a ton of debuts. They're really just honing this song catalog that they've built over 10 years. And they're really starting to just crack it open and expand on it. And all the while, in the fall, they're recording Hoist. So you jump into the yeah. Spring 94 tour. They've just released Hoist. Eight of the ten tracks have been unheard of by the fan base. So those are all new songs. They're pushing it on a nightly basis. And, you know, listening to the Spring 94 tour, you can really hear it in two halves as they tour until Laguna, Laguna Seca 
Days Festival at the end of May, and then the Red Rocks run that starts in June and carries them through Sugarbush, where you hear that April-May run really focused on pushing these new songs with this crazy outlier show at the Bomb Factory. And then they come back in June, and it's almost like they're like, all right, we're going to still push Hoist, but everything's off the table, and we're just going to screw around and embrace chaos and embrace uncertainty and jam. And you find them at this point in the tour, having just played the night before a brilliant show in Chicago, the night before that, this crazy mashup show, which they would repeat throughout the tour. It's just such an exciting time to see the band. And I I think also one thing you said, that Red Rock show, it's one of the first shows that I don't know when this stopped happening, probably when the streaming became more of like a normal way that you got into fish through like the re-listen app. But 6.11.94 was one of those shows that like, as I was getting into fish, someone's older brother was like, you have to hear this show. And I was not unique in that. Like that was across the fish uh, universe was someone was passed to a new fan. You have to listen to 6.11.94 because it's just, it, it it's everything you would want from fish in a single show at that point. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, the sound quality is great. I went back after listening to that and went back to the day before the 610 and the sound is just so different. I mean, the soundboard <laughs> shows, you know, versus the audience tapes in those days are, wow, there's a big difference. I think the other interesting thing just before we jump into this is the band was giving a, a lot of interviews at this point, And there was a lot of press around the band in early 1994. And it was really the last big push of, can we turn fish into a blues traveler? Can we turn fish into a Dave Matthews band? And we talked a bit about this in our hoist episode last month, but this kind of big media push that the band went under throughout this tour, I think is important context as we jump into this interview, which is not necessarily a big media draw. It's, um, it's a local interview ahead of their show in Kalamazoo where the band is in some cases, it seems kind of flabbergasted that they are spending 30 minutes of their time having this conversation while being good sports throughout it. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing to keep in mind as we talk about it is, you know, like you said, they're, they're kind of, they're doing more press. They just released the down with disease video and, and hoist. And um, do they really need at this point? Cause they're selling, you know, they're, they're playing all these big amphitheaters that they will play mm-hmm. for, for years to come. So do they really like need the publicity from a local access, you know, Kalamazoo station? Cause they, they definitely act like they don't um, while they're talking to, to the guy, but at the same time, maybe that's just like, that's their way of, they're like, if we are going to get publicity, we're going to do it our, our own way. It's a good point. And like, you know, it kind of makes me think about the way that tours were structured up until this point, like 90, 1990 through 1994, you see them still visiting like Santa Fe, New Mexico, which absolutely nothing against Santa Fe, New Mexico. I would love for fish to play Santa Fe again. It'd be amazing. But like, it's not a market that's going to draw fish back in a couple of years. And if you look at like, say the 1996 fall tour where they go out West and they start on the East coast and they move out West over a three month period in time, they're no longer hitting like small college towns. They're hitting big cities as they're moving out West. And they're essentially saying at this point, even if we can't sell out an arena, it's better for us to play the Arco arena than it is for us to play three venues in Northern California and, you know, kind of make our way through the Southern coast of California. So, you know, this is kind of one of those last tours where there is that they're playing Kalamazoo the night after they play Chicago, they're going to play Indiana in a couple of nights. They're going to play Columbus, Ohio and Cincinnati. Uh, They're going to play Charleston, West Virginia. They're in this very interesting middle ground of we're a big band. We don't necessarily need local DJs to be interviewing us, but also that's how we made it. And why don't we give this guy a chance as well? Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about the interview. Can we? This is too we're going to do it. So let's jump into it. Uh, we're going to play a bit of our favorite parts of the interview, and then we're going to break it down here. So give me one sec to get this all loaded up. Without further ado, I present Fish Television Interview 6-1994, part one. 
Here he is. Hi, I'm Big Daddy Duras, and that great music you're hearing is the music of Fish. Now, Fish just played at the State Theater in downtown Kalamazoo this past June, and because they're such great guys, they took time out of their busy schedule to give us an interview. Now, if you're familiar with the music of Fish, you know these guys play straight from the heart. But now we're going to meet the guys themselves, find out more about the personalities that make up this great band. If you're not familiar with Fish, stick around, because we're also going to be checking stick out around. their first and thus far only video down with disease from their latest album hoist so enough said ladies and gentlemen i present fish i, I love this part right here big daddy do from kalamazoo okay <laughs> that's great your immediate okay. thoughts. Well, I will say that 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 acapella lead-in is the definitely the most effort that they put into the entire thing <laughs> by by a lot, and not in a bad way because it's it's great. But it's like they did definitely the, the I don't know. Looking at that makes you think that they were like were like this is really an awesome thing, and then they start talking to him, and it's just it's so awkward from the start. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like on but on purpose, you know, not like on they purpose, didn't have yeah. anything to say. They were just kind of trolling him um, from the beginning, which which I guess is just, you know, kind of what they do. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, <clears throat> and we'll jump into it when we when we look at the actual interview here, like he's he's got long hair, he's got a tie-dye shirt on, he knows about the band, like it's it it's this weird line between he's a he's a fan and he's also got the access. Um, and you can tell that like they're just screwing around with him in the same way that they would a journalist from like the New York times. But it's also like, you know, there's some empathy showcase that like, all right, we can't screw around with him too much. We've got to bring him in on some of these jokes. One thing I noticed was like the phrase enough said, like when you actually like had the apostrophe N U F F is like the most 1990s phrase early 1990s phrase that you could have. And I just love how there's like the shrug and then he just says, enough said. So Way to bring that back. <laughs> we, we should bring that back. I think we should bring it back. I think that's how I we mean, close every episode now. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to not, like watch this and, and not just think about how 90s it is. I mean, that's kind of the point. But, man, they, just from the beginning, like Mike seems like he's interested in potentially answering a question and the rest of them. <laughs> are just passing they have one mic between the four of them so trey would like i mean it you know we'll listen to a couple other clips but trey would either like not answer the question or just pass like say one thing and then pass the mic to fishman and then fishman would say something goofy and mike and Paige seem to be the most willing to actually answer questions which is just man they just never stop fucking with people you know and i think that's part of the it's part of the the era um at, at this point. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's it's the point where like how many times do you think they've gone into an earnest interview that they've been told by either Electra or by any sort of anyone in management that like all right, this is going to be a big interview for you guys and it just doesn't land and it doesn't really take them anywhere. They don't see record sales take off and yet at the same time they walk out on stage every night to a sold out theater and you know, they're about to play uh, Jones beach towards the end of this summer, they did a huge tour of amphitheaters the year before, you know, they're at this point in their career where it's like, well, we actually don't need this. So why would we go into this sort of interview with any sort of earnestness? Um, the one question I had before we jump into our second clip here, I'm kind of surprised that like the tweezer riff didn't 
take off more. It sounds so badass. Like, is there a better song that you think they could have introduced an interview with like this, like this with? No, it's the best. I mean, you know, that's why, that's why, that's why we all love it so much. It's such a great, such a great riff. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if they got like offers to use it in commercials and things like that and just said no, because I know that Paluska had talked about on After Midnight, you know, how that they were like, they were clearly so anti-commercial from the beginning, but that that riff has some commercial legs, I think. Caesar with a tweezer in the new <laughs> Nissan Xterra, nineteen ninety four. You know, and that's be amazing. All right, I want to jump. I want to throw up a new clip. This is um, this may be my favorite funny moment of the entire uh, entire interview. Big Daddy has a very genuine question for the band. Something I think all of us at times have been interested in. What kind of music do you guys listen to? And the answer that the band gives is just fascinating. So we're going to jump into this. First style of music. I was wondering, when you guys were growing up, was this like, you know, for each of you, I guess, was this common in your household? Your parents were really musical and opened you to a bunch of different... Uh... I don't know if any of our parents were particularly musical, except maybe Pages were a bit. Um, but I know that I know that there was always some strange music around, as well as the Beatles. Beatles. My mother is a real big music fan. She played a lot of strange music in the house, as well as the Beatles. My parents loathed the Beatles and all other music. I first started listening to the Beatles because my brother was a big Beatles fan, but uh, my dad was a big Dixieland jazz fan, so I grew up in the house with Dixieland jazz and the Beatles. It is. It's it's not normal. It's it's odd, but it's good. It's without meter, but it's timely. It's a music whose time has come. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, this is like, I feel bad for, so bad for Big Daddy, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's, this has happened to me before um, in an interview where I, where I was purposely trolled by the band. Um, <laughs> Matt, Matt you, and I were, go on? <laughs> it's a, uh, it's another band in this improvisational scene that we may or may not have just launched a podcast with. Um it was uh it was fun but they you know they were just you know when i guess part of it is just like there's this inside joke thing you know um yeah. that you're you not know, a part of like you're just a guy yeah. that's here now yeah you're just out yeah and like you don't have the 20 years of experience with them or the 10 or whatever so you know you're going to pay for it um and yeah <laughs> Justin just said page going along with the gag i mean <laughs> You can tell that Paige, Paige's instinct is to be earnest and helpful, and then he just like has to like go with the go with the trick. I mean, it's man. I like how certain things have just not changed with Fish, and Justin makes a really good point there. Like Mike makes this comment about listening to really obscure his parents listening to really obscure music, also the Beatles, which who who did not grow up. You know who who among us that are like fish fans? We're not we're not listening to the Beatles uh, from from birth type of thing. They were just like the foundation of classic rock music in all of our houses. And Trey immediately realizes that he's got a joke to continue, but then the joke is too funny in his head, and he has to like hold back laughter so that he can get it out. And then by the time he gets to Paige, it's like his is almost the most cutting because he's like it wasn't weird, or you know it's 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 quite weird to listen to the Beatles, but. We did it, and it was a part. It was a, it was of a time, and I don't know. There's just there's something about him ending all of these comments. Uh, there was a scene. There was a moment earlier where they asked uh, Big Daddy asked them what their favorite song was from the new record, and before he could answer, Axilla Fishman just goes Axilla, yeah. and then all of their answers are our drummer's favorite song from this record is Axilla. <laughs> And then the interviewer said, and Big Daddy says, it's my favorite too. And then they add that in and say, the interviewer and our drummer. I mean, they're just having fun, which I, it just brings me back to the question I asked before, which is like, are they trying to be serious at all? I mean, are they trying to like just do their their brand of humor in the hopes of 
achieving some kind of goal with with getting the name out there or are they actually just like i mean you can hear a sound check going on behind them so they're just kind of like hanging out before before the show so i just i wonder if there's any part of them that's like this is this is going to be helpful to us because it doesn't it doesn't seem like that's what they're going with when i wonder as well like if big daddy were matt pinfield and this was like, hey, we happen to be in Kalamazoo for, I don't know why they would be in Kalamazoo in June 1994. But, you know, we're, we're aligning with your guys' tour in Philadelphia. And we want to do a tour. We want to do an interview of you guys. Um, if the band would come across kind of tight and not super into, like, laying into jokes. And, and if Big Daddy is almost like them playing an out of the way venue where they just end up playing a classic show because they just feel like they can be loose and they can just hang out with this guy and they can have fun with him. And he's a part of like, he seems to be a part of the fan base and he seems to be like a good dude who like means well, but like, we're just going to like rib you the whole time. Whereas like, if it was a bigger journalist, like they're actually going to try to explain who they are while sounding, you know, less capable of communicating what makes fish so special. Right. Well, and we're going to, I know that we're going to go into, we're going to look at an interview later in the series where they do kind of try to take, take it more seriously, although it's much later. Um, yeah, I mean, I know that one thing about the interview, I know from talking to Trey and, and, you know, trying to interview, um, him on, on various occasions, the, the, the right route in is where, where big daddy eventually goes, which is the, like talking about the gear and the music. And like, once he starts asking about the guitars and the and the practice and the you know that sort of thing like then they start actually answering the questions but when you 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 can't really approach a band like this with the like tell me about your upbringing or whatever you know (laughs) even though it's like a totally reasonable question to ask like what music did you listen to growing up but i think it like genuinely piques their interest when someone asks them about the guitar or the microphone or the the speakers or i mean trey's still like that to this day so i think that's I think he he eventually lands on the right path. Well, we're going to jump to that because the part two has two very, very like insightful and and in-depth answers that I think are really fascinating while also showcasing the flaw of the overall interview itself. I want to show one more thing that I thought was hilarious. They're talking at this point. Big Daddy asks them about if it's challenging to play guitar or play instruments and sing at the same time. Which when I heard the question, I was like, man, that is like, I would be really afraid to ask a professional musician that because it's kind of like asking like a baseball player, like, is it hard to throw the ball to first base? But then I started (laughs) thinking like certain baseball players get the yips and they like literally can't throw the ball to first base. And I was thinking about how rare it was to hear a voice other than Paige or Trey. And I was thinking about like, I play guitar and sometimes I try to sing and I like have to completely change the way I strum. I was like, actually, this is a really good question. But they start to talk about their role in the band. Yeah. And it lands on John Fishman, who gives this answer when asked about if it's if he can sing and play drums at the same time. I find singing and playing at the same time difficult because of my role as well. My closed role in particular, and sometimes my double stroke role. But mainly the role, I've gained a little weight on this tour. And I find that that role is what gets in my way most of the time. I've been singing and playing for a long time together. And uh, because of my role, I think that um, it's maybe not as hard as, say, the bass player or the drummer. have more roles. Who uh, Mike's losing roles, Fish is gaining roles. <laughs> My roles pretty much did the same. <laughs> Paige is actually on a roll in the chess tournament, whipping <laughs> Fish's. Oh yeah. But chess players, okay. He's on a roll. <laughs> again, again, Paige just has to has to be earnest and answer the question. Paige has to be earnest, and also, I, I was thinking about the fact that like this is like an insight into their jamming process almost where they like, they land on a word and they build that word out 
as like all right how it, it's like a game of telephone almost that like lands on fishman and suddenly yeah. roll doesn't mean you're rolling the van it means i've gotten a little fat one yeah sitting in the back of the van driving across america yeah 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 exactly <laughs> i mean it is like the it's like the hay hole right it's like the exactly it is like that yeah um that's yeah i mean the, the what trey said earlier before fishman started talking was like i realized eventually that it was hard for mike to play the songs that i wrote and and sing at the same time so i've like i've realized that that it's harder it's like he starts to get they start to get you know a little more earnest as, as the thing goes along but man it takes takes a long time well, should we jump into one of the earnest uh, comments? Yeah, yeah, from, yeah. I think we should. Know? I think we should give the people what they want. All right. So we set the context here earlier. This is the the afternoon after the June eighteenth, nineteen ninety four show uh, from the UIC Pavilion, a very famous show. Trey talked on Charlie Rose about having a religious experience during Divided Sky. This was officially released. It has a great version of David Bowie. And Big Daddy has, I think, the best question of the entire interview, and it leads to some great, great commentary from Trey before being abruptly cut off. We will, we will see all of that. Okay, well, along the same lines as the songwriting, when you guys do these songs live, do you beforehand kind of say, well, here we're going to jam out and sort of a reggae-ish feel for so long, and then we'll go to this, or is it sort of half and half, or really all of it off? when you really sort of go off on one of your jams there i'd say more off the cuff than your first description where for instance last night we played a song called david bowie david bowie david, of uh junta, junta. Again? Junta. and uh, we played the first note of the song indicating now we're going to start playing the song and then we just started jamming <laughs> and we had this I, one of my favorite yeah. moments of the night a, a little extended jam there at the first part of the song, uh, which isn't where we normally would. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely an attitude that anything goes. I mean, my feeling is that once you're up on stage, you're kind of you're free. Hopefully you, you've created as much freedom as you can in your mind and in the air and in the spiritual way around the room, and you just go for it. And then the songs kind of go and come and go, and off you go. Mm -hmm with your friend pete shaw that's a great sound there Paige. i love that organ of yours i was just actually <laughs> i mean if he you know it, looking back if he had known that he was going to interrupt like a description of the mind left body jam at the beginning of the 61894 bowie like he might not have but he was just transfixed by the organ he was transfixed by the organ and i also wonder that part like when they were setting up the interview you know, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, the band comes out of the dressing room. They know they've got to do this interview and they're just like, you're okay with sound check in the background. And like for, for those of us, you and I who work, you know, trying to set up interviews that we can then release as podcasts. If a band says that, like, what do you do? Because you, you got to get the interview and you have like 25 minutes with the band, but also like, I want to release something that sounds really good where I can get you fully focused and not hearing and, and me not hearing yeah. weird noises in the background that are going to distract us in any sort of way. So it, it adds to like the loose aspect of this overall yeah. interview with fitting for the time. Complicated. It's, it's, it's probably easier to do an interview with soundcheck in the bathroom background than it is to do a, a, an interview with 17 can, cannabis joints being passed around by shift shift genuine <laughs> cannabis, which, which, which happened. Um, Wait, we have yeah, to ask questions is, still. <laughs> yeah, it's like, did we did we start yet? Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, this is that's that's cool though. They they do get into it, and it just takes a little while, you know. But um, I don't know. I, I guess part of it, I, I do wonder if some of this stuff is like, okay, this guy's clearly a fan. But some of the questions he asked toward the beginning, this is more like a, looking at the interview process. Like, if you're informed and you know you're asking informed questions, you're obviously going to get better answers, right? So the more kind of generic the, the question, the, the less likely you are to get a, a good answer. But if you yeah. if you do a little bit more homework and, and ask like a more detailed question like like he was doing in the second part, man, that's just, it's wild. Yeah, it's afternoon, you know, it's afternoon in Kalamazoo and 
probably like one of the highlights of this guy's year. You know, I've been he he's finally starts getting some good info out of them. It brings up an interesting question that I'd written down in our doc. You know, you you talk about like he interrupts. If he had known he's interrupting Trey, breaking down this jam from the night before, the kind of thing that like I think listeners like us would kill for. Like you played this amazing jam last night. Tell us about it. Just what did it sound like? What did it feel like to you? And you can see Trey looking around at the band members and be like, did everyone else agree? Was that as good as I thought it was? Because, you know, who knows if they're like walking off stage and immediately talking about that type of thing. But at the same time, he's in the moment and he 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 can't know at this point the fall that summer nineteen ninety four is gonna be so revered, you know, twenty-eight years later. Is there a question or are there questions that you would have asked the band at this point in time? Oh man. I mean, I have a lot of questions that I want to ask the band at this point in time. Now. Totally. So uh, going backwards, I mean I think he was on the right track. I I think it's so rare. I guess probably ninety-seven is when they stopped really paying attention to what happened right there's like sort of consciously stopped talking about and analyzing what was happening um but that's pretty rare to have have a band member like really explain what's going on in a in a jam you know that that's that's pretty cool um i don't know i mean i I guess i would have i guess i probably would have asked about specific songs because like there was something about that tour with stash for example so if you'd seen Mm -hmm. like seen or listened to four shows before this, which would have been impossible at the time, unless you were on tour. Like what about that? Yeah. And taping, like what about that show is, or what about that song is like really making things click for you guys? Because that's where like things seem to really work every time. Um, But I don't know. What about you? I think about, you know, at this point in the tour, there's like two things happening beyond the songs are, being performed at an exceptionally high level you have jams like the bowie from uic the bowie from charlotte a couple months earlier the bomb factory tweezer these big open-ended jams but then you also have sets like the milwaukee set that happened two nights prior where they're not necessarily jamming an extended length but everything flows together in a in a way that like it all kind of ends up feeling like one song and i think i'd be curious to know like what is if not necessarily inspiring them, like what are, what are they hearing and what are they feeling when they're playing those two types of mm-hmm. experimental sets? Um, do they feel more free when they're just jumping off a cliff and just seeing what happens or when they have a little bit more of kind of a punkish approach to it, where it's like, we're just going to fuck these songs up and throw them into a stew and figure out how they all kind of blend together. Like, wh- is, is there a fun factor to that? Is there, to both of those or is there something that they're learning more from one versus the other i would imagine the jamming is where they're learning more from because that's just what they're going to take with them more but it does seem like at least nowadays in fish when trey wants to have fun he does like a mashup set and that's still like an aspect of fish history that they if not consciously like is still a part of them that they still really enjoy so that would be where i'd be really curious to find out where their heads are at yeah, it's a good point. I mean, and then you look at the show that they play this night and it's fine. It's like very fine. Like I think there's a couple 12 minute songs, which, you know, there there's a good, good stash, good antelope, good Reba. Um, so when they do, when they do jam it, it, it's great. And then there's just like a lot of songs that they run through and, you know, well played and fast and all that. Um, yeah. So and then you look at like the show three nights after this in Columbus, which is, you know, one of the, one of the most famous shows, um, that they, that they played and it's just totally different and outrageous. So yeah, it's, it's, I don't think anyone has ever really been able to describe, I mean, from any band, right. Like why things happen in certain, in certain nights, um, which is just kind of crazy. I was also just thinking, you know, at this point in the tour, we've got what three weeks left basically until the sugar bus shows. Yeah. <clears throat> They're going to play game hinge twice. They're going to play it once in West Virginia. And then they're going to play hoist in the second set uh, in full. And then they're going to play it at great woods and yeah. they're never going to play it again, at least to date. Yeah. And I wonder what's going around in their heads 
you know, Gamehenge was always kind of Trey's project. What's going around in his head at this point in their career of maybe consciously at this point, they're not even thinking about doing it, but you would have to imagine there's been some rehearsal because of how detailed it is. And those two versions feel probably the most complete that we would hear aside from another version that we'll talk about a little bit later. But, um, you know, they're going to play this very dedicated first set over the next two weeks. And then it's just, it's gone. And I just kind of wonder why at that point they're thinking about pushing that one more time or two more times, I guess I should say. Yeah. Yeah. I, who knows? I mean, they've been on the road for, for months at this point and they're sort of heading, heading home slowly. Um, it's really hard to know after being on the road for months, like what's, what's the calculus or what the conversations that are happening or whatever, you know? It is interesting in the touring cycle standpoint that they're in Michigan and they're at that point where they're kind of, they're making the lap back to the East coast mm-hmm. and they're going to arrive in. <clears throat> I think that they play the man on July 1st. And from there for the next two weeks, everything is in like the Northeastern corridor. And I wonder what that's like, what that's like for these guys at this point in time. Cause they've now done it f- four years in a row where they'll do a tour where they'll start on the East coast, go out West, wrap back around. It's like three months on the road and you come back, they're just playing shows. They're playing at a very high level and they're playing in front of their most loyal original fans. It's, it's gotta be a, I wonder if there's like a real excitement around the tour at this point, or if it's more of not necessarily a slog, but like we've got to get through these 10 shows before we get back home. Yeah, I think they were, I mean, they were so focused on, on the music at this point. I I feel like there probably was just like, you know, especially we were talking about earlier with these shows with there's, whether it's like Reba or Bowie or uh, stash or, you know, any of those tweezer, any of the, the actual kind of jam vehicles that existed at the time. They're really good. They're really good. You know, they're really good versions. Um, All of them. And like every Reba is great. So I feel like they, I think they, I think they're pretty, I think they're still pretty into it at this point. Um, I think they're, I think they're winding up toward, toward, you know, the sugar bush um, finale. I, I, I think it's, I think it's like on an upward climb as they, as they start to head home. There might totally. have been previous, you know, like, but then there's like little, there's little peaks, you know, like they get to play Red Rocks, you know, and then they go through, you know, Kansas City and Des Moines and Minneapolis and Milwaukee is the OJ thing. And then they come through USC and then they're in Chicago. So, you know, it's hard to know if they're just like enjoying going to these big cities and hanging out and seeing different things. And they go, you know, Kalamazoo, Cincinnati, Columbus. And all those shows are really different. So I don't know. I guess I just don't know. That's Have you ever been on like an elongated road trip across the U.S. That like last months? No. I have once. Um, and I just remember like every city felt unique, but also the same after a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you'd arrive in like Denver and then Salt Lake City and then San Francisco. And you're like, okay, I get what makes a city and i understand like this city has this neighborhood that i should go to and has this type of cuisine but after a while you're just kind of like i just want normalcy and so you start eating kind of like the same foods and you start doing the same things and like if you have friends in that city you just like go to their house and hang out in their backyard and it's like their backyard in seattle versus your friend's backyard in milwaukee but it feels the exact same to you at, at, at that point. And I wonder yeah, like if, if like the U S is kind of a blur. Cause like a week earlier they're in Colorado playing the uh, red rock shows. Like they're, they've gone across half the country and played like six gigs between now and then. Yeah. I mean, they must be, you know, they go to Chicago, they probably get to go hang out, maybe see some music late night. You know, I think part of the, part of it's probably the music that they get to experience while on the road. If, if at all, um, I mean, something happened between Cincinnati and Columbus to allow that that show to happen. But again, it's all like speculation. We have no idea. But that show, that Columbus show is amazing. Yeah, I remember getting that, the Live Fish uh, version and just being blown away listening to it. Um, so I want to play one more clip here from yeah. this. This is the other really cool moment where he asks um, about gear. 
This is a little bit of a longer clip, so just bear with it. But there is like an interruption, and then Trey comes back, and and you can just hear Trey talk about his gear in a way that, like RJ was saying earlier, he gets so into this, and he gets so into the idea of like breaking down how he approaches playing guitar. And it's like the first question where he's like, "Thank you, thank you for asking me this." Couple shop questions, real quick. Uh, Trey, your tone. Um, it seems like you can, with the sound you have, you can almost stop on just about any note and just get that feedback sustain. Yeah. And how much of that is the guitar? And oh, by the way, tell me about the guitars by Paul. How you spell, pronounce it? Languidoc? Languidoc. Tell me about those guitars and how much of that's tone and how much is... A lot of it's the guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a hollow body and Paul designed it. A hollow body. Custom. Uh, and we wanted to try to combine some of my favorite things in guitars. One is uh, most hollow body guitars have uh, a short scale length. Mm-hmm. meaning uh, Les Paul scale length. That's the distance between the bridge and the nut. Is that a glued-on neck, or is it neck through? It's through. It's Okay, just like the bass, right? Yeah. Okay. And um, except that it only goes to, the whole thing is completely hollow. There's no block of wood down the middle. I wanted a small body, which is very hard to find in a hollow-body guitar, if, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of the Gibsons and whatever there is out there. Well, you know, this is the home of, the original home of Gibson Guitar oh, Company. Right. It's originally in Kalamazoo here. But I do have an old jazz Gibson that I like a lot. But anyway, the Paul's guitar is 24 frets. Bad <laughs> <laughs> hat. Is, is it the hollow body feature? That yeah, kind of that's you most, the of, that's that's most that of what it is. Usually, mm-hmm. it's, it's not the amp. Mm-hmm. What kind uh, of amps do you use? I use these Mesa Boogie Mark, th- Mark 3s, uh, which are fine. Okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, and tube screamers. Tube screamers. I try to keep it simple. My philosophy is simpler the better because I, okay. when I'm on stage, I don't want to be thinking about anything mm-hmm. ever. Okay. I don't want to be thinking about the guitar. I don't want to be thinking about the amp. I don't want to be thinking about all I want to be. I don't. I don't so want to be thinking about. Thinking, basically, you want to be an embryonic sort of stage. It's true. Yeah. We laugh, but but it's true. I, 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 I don't. I don't like to. Uh, is that your uh, ADA that uh, gives you that tone? <laughs> he's got this guy's really jumping around he's like whatever he hears he's like hey bro, let me ask you about this <laughs> uh, the gear stuff is is always a winner with with these guys you know there's also that moment towards the end it kind of like ties into what we're talking about in terms of like where's the band where where is their head at this point in time where trey talks about like i don't want to be thinking on stage and fishman jumps in with like you want to be like in an embryonic stage of life trey's like yeah like we're joking, but like, I, I don't want to think at all. And yeah. you got to wonder like that experience when you're at that level musically and you jump up on stage and you play, you know, a three hour show and you're kind of not thinking like, how did this go? You're just in it. It's probably hard to then go back in time and process what that actually felt like. Cause you're just so deep into it. And that seems to yeah. be the goal of the band at this point in time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I also like that he said he likes to keep it simple because if you, if you look at the like gear rundown these days, it's <laughs> like, it does not seem simple to me, but I guess it's all relative. It is. I mean, yeah, I feel like at that point, if you listen to Fish, like in 1994, even when they're making weird, obscure noises that they would get into on a much more consistent level in, um, the late 90s 2.0 today you think about some of the crazy psychedelic jams the stuff that he's doing back then is basically like a digital delay loop jam and increasing feedback and then looping that over and over itself and like page mashing his grand piano so it like just makes a swell of noise it's not a lot of effects there's no synthesizer pedals that are coming into play here definitely not definitely not um, but this is sort of peak, like really technical proficiency and just, it, he is trying to keep the sound simple clearly because it's yeah. he's focused on pulling off the, the songs, you know? Um, but yeah, really interesting interview. I'm glad you brought it up. I think everyone should watch it. It's only what, 20 minutes total between the two parts. So it's, uh, it's digestible, but, uh, but entertaining for sure. So I, I, I thought this was a good, this was a fun one. I love this interview. I discovered this in like the fall of 2009. I was in south korea and i was just like i was it was the first time i had fast internet my entire life and i was just like spending a thursday night doing a youtube rabbit hole 
it was like around the time that like just stuff was just being uploaded constantly to YouTube. And you were just like, Oh my God, like I never knew this existed. And I remember finding this and just being blown away to see them uh, at this point in this, their career. Was there anything for you, anything new that you learned from the band from this interview or you walked away with like a newfound appreciation of? Not really. <laughs> I guess I'm uh, the same. I, I, I feel like, no, I feel like it's just like it, it almost like just reinforces a perspective that you have of the band at the time. Yeah. And like yeah. that shot of Paige as Trey's breaking down his rig, just like staring off into space and then yeah. kind of looking back at the band. Um, that like the cerebral thought uh from Paige McConnell as he's trying to joke around with the band. Yeah. Fishman just being like so quick witted and just so capable of like coming up with an immediate joke that just cuts through. Uh, is 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 amazing i also loved this is not something new i learned but at the start of the interview we didn't play this big daddy says that he's not going to say that all the all the members play uh sing because they all do sing like birds and as they go around introducing themselves fishman just introduces himself as bird singer so ridiculous never (laughs) stops So this is good. We will do an interview series here uh, every couple of months. We've got another one lined up here for later in the spring. That is uh, one of our most, one of our favorite uh, interviews that the band has ever been a part of. Next week, we will be back. Unless there's anything you have to add about this, uh, this big daddy interview. And no, no, big Big daddy is awesome. I'm really glad he did it. I am too. It was a great interview. Um, next week we'll be back at our standard time, 4.30 PM Eastern to talk about a show that is celebrating. It is it's 29th anniversary. I want to say yes. 29th, the crest theater, 322, 1993 game hen show. We're going to dive deep into this. We're going to talk about the first set. We're going to talk about the second set. Uh, we're going to talk about you know, where they're at in March of 1992 at that point in time, but dive into the first game hinge tape I ever heard. I got this. It was like one of my first 15 tapes. It was so great to hear as an early fish fan. And it just like really captures the magic of what game hinge meant to the band at this point in time. I'm really excited about that. And um, one additional note to that, uh, we talked about this last week during our last episode, but starting in April, we will be coming back for two days a week. Mondays and Wednesdays at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. We've got a ton of awesome content coming to you. ton of great interviews, ton of great episodes, plus HF Pod bonus episodes that go up on our premium feed. Lots and lots happening around here in the uh, HF Pod wing of the Osiris Studios. RJ, do you want to tell us about our friends at Sunset Lake before we go? Yeah, one more reminder. Uh, we're We're brought to you in part by Sunset Lake CBD. Um, just go to sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off. Uh, Sunset Lake is awesome. They're uh, certified organic employee-owned hemp farm located just outside Burlington. They were a dairy dairy farm producing milk for Ben and Jerry's, another friends, another group of friends of ours. And then in 2019, they diversified and started growing hemp for CBD. And um, I, I use the CBD gummies um, almost every night. Um, the tincture as well. It's a, it's as Brian said earlier, it's a, it's a really mellowing experience to, to use their, their CBD products. They're really, they're really good and they, they ship them quickly. And, uh, and if you support them, you're supporting us. So check out sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD. Big believer in the magic of Sunset Lake. It's an amazing, amazing organization. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks everybody for tuning in and listening and watching. It's nice to to see everybody. Thanks, everyone, for hanging with us here in our noon hour uh, in the greatest time zone in America uh, live show. RJ, always, always, always a pleasure to hang out with you and talk about some fish. Yeah, we will see you all. It was fun. It was fun. And uh, is that the Down with Disease riff that I hear back there? Or is that the organ (laughs) that you're? Yeah, exactly. Thank you, everyone, for hanging with us here. We'll see you next week. And, um, Bonus episode coming to you tomorrow morning. So keep an eye out for that. With that, everyone have a great rest of your week. And we'll talk with you all soon. Take care.
Osiris. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast.